0: pray real quick before we get going. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to be here and gathered as your body of believers. We thank you that you have called us to be part of your family. And I pray, Father, that what happens today, what is said today, would be honoring and glorifying to you first and foremost. Lord, that you would inspire and challenge us, and that the, the words that we hear from your word would, uh, would definitely not return void. It's in Jesus' name that we, we, we pray. Amen. Over the summer, my wife and I were watching America's Got Talent, maybe you were doing the same thing, and, and uh, all these different acts that were coming on. And the, Shin Lim was the, the young man who actually won the show, and he was an a, a, uh, up-close magician. He would do all these card tricks that were all very up-close, and it was absolutely incredible to see what he would do. I mean, the cameras were zoomed in right on his hands. He would have judges sitting right next to him watching his every single move and I'm not kidding you, he would have nothing in his hands, and then all of a sudden, he would have a deck of cards in his hands. It's like, how in the world did he do that? How did I miss it? And it reminded me of a story of when Jesus performed one of his miracles in John chapter 21. And Peter and some of the apostles and disciples are fishing. This is after Jesus has already died and risen from the dead. They're out in their boat fishing. And Jesus comes up on the shore and asks them if they've caught anything. And they've been fishing all night. And they've caught nothing. So you could imagine how happy Peter is to be asked that. And he, they say, no, we've not caught anything yet. And Jesus says, and they didn't know it was Jesus at the time but cast your net on the right side of the boat. And so they cast their their net on the right side of the boat, and at that, that moment, they catch 153 large fish, so big that they cannot even pull the fish onto their boat. And I can just hear them asking, how in the world did he do that? How did I miss it? And I find myself asking that same question, how did I miss it in my own personal walk with Jesus? And I can understand not being able to see a card trick. I can understand not being able to understand how Jesus performs his powerful miracles. But I have a hard time understanding how it is that I miss opportunities around me. I have a hard time understanding how I miss the very purpose sometimes in my life of why Jesus actually came to this earth, which was to seek and to save the lost, to bring people, his most prized possession, back to himself. Now there's a story in Luke chapter 19 about a man named Zacchaeus. And this is a a, a wonderful story. And before Jesus interacts with Zacchaeus, He's on his way to Jerusalem where he will ultimately be hung on the cross. But as he's walking there, he's been going from city to city, and he comes upon Jericho. Now, before he gets into the city of Jericho, there's a blind beggar uh, on on the street. And he's walking with a crowd of disciples that are with him. And now you can imagine that these people are walking with him for days, months, learning from him. They're wanting to be with him. They're seeing him perform these miracles. And and these are his disciples, some of them his closest friends. And as they're walking by, the the blind man cannot see, obviously, what's going on. But he he can hear what's happening. And so he begins to ask, who's walking by? What's going on? And they tell him, Jesus is passing by. And at, at that time, he begins to, to cry out, Jesus, have mercy on me. And the people walking with Jesus, his disciples, his, his followers, actually rebuke the man and tell him to be quiet. Don't speak up. Stay there. Now, see, they're missing an opportunity Let's see how Jesus handles this opportunity, the same situation. That makes the man cry out even louder, Jesus, have mercy on me. And now Jesus hears the man crying out. And so he comes to the man, he stops and he listens to him and asks, What is it that you want me to do for you? And he said, I'm blind. Would you please heal me? And Jesus says, Your faith has healed you. You have received your sight, and he can now see. Okay, now you can imagine, and just put yourself in those shoes. You know this man's been blind his whole life, and now he can see. It would be an absolute, the, the enthusiasm, the excitement of being a part of something like that would be unreal, absolutely unreal. And the Bible says that this man and the crowd begin to praise God, okay? Now, it's this same crowd that walks into Jericho with, uh, with Jesus, And there's a man named Zacchaeus that lives in this city. And Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector in Jericho. And a chief tax collector would have had people under him. He would have worked for the the Roman government. And the people of Jericho would not have really liked uh, Zacchaeus and his, his team very much at all because they would cheat them. They would say that they owed a certain amount, but really they didn't, and they would take the difference and pocket it, and these guys would become wealthy. So these guys, the the people of Jericho knew what Zacchaeus was all about and and why they were so wealthy and and all that. And so they they did not like him, uh, to say the least. And so Zacchaeus wants to see what's happening in this crowd, but he can't, and so he runs ahead, climbs up into a tree, so he gets a bird's-eye view. And now Jesus and that crowd is walking the streets. And and Jesus sees him, and he says, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. I want to go to your house and spend some time with you today. So Zacchaeus comes down, takes him to his home, and they begin to spend quality time together at the house talking. Now, while they're doing that, again, the same crowd is now asking and, and questioning, why would Jesus be going to the house of a sinner? I mean, how dare he do such a thing? I can't believe he would go to Zacchaeus. He's the same guy who ripped off my uncle. I can't believe he would go over there and talk to him like that. But see, Jesus sees things differently. He would always see opportunities to extend grace and and to give compassion and and, and mercy. So Jesus and Zacchaeus are talking, and, and by the end of the conversation, Zacchaeus says, he repents and he says, I am going to give half of my wealth away and give it to the poor. And anyone that I wronged, anyone that I cheated, I will give four times as much back to that person. See, Jesus says in, in verse 19, salvation has come to this house. And then he says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save which was lost. The very people who were praising Jesus that, 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 on that walk the very same people doing that were the same people who saw, saw Zacchaeus for what he was in that day that moment they didn't see him for what he could be and i just believe that jesus sees people for what they could be he doesn't see them in their in their in their in the sin that they're living in he sees them from the from the perspective of they could have freedom they could be transformed. They don't have to live with guilt and shame. I can free them of that bondage. And that's how Jesus sees them. But if I'm honest with you today, too many times in my life, I have been quick to condemn. I have, and I've been quick to write people off rather than quick to show compassion and to extend grace. God has really been trying to even work in my life. I'm not immune to this. But when you read the New Testament, you read story after story of Jesus's life, you quickly see a different picture that Jesus had a passion to reach those who were not a part of his family. The people that we would so quickly write off or tell them, be quiet, just stay where you are. Don't say anything. Those are the people that Jesus wants to impact. And, I, and, and there's this imagery about fishing that, that God pressed upon my heart as preparing for this, this weekend that Jesus constantly had his line in the water. Constantly had his line in the water. Now, I was uh, walking in my garage, and I happened to glance over and see my four fishing poles on my wall with the fishing tackle and all this, and I quickly realized that I have no shot at catching a fish with my poles there. The only chance that I have catching fish, is if I take those fishing poles down, I put some bait on there, and I get the line in the water. Fish aren't just gonna miraculously come and knock on my door, right? I have the tools, I have what's needed to catch fish, but they're sitting there. And until I get the line in the water, how am I gonna catch fish? And so I'm not kidding, on the way here, I invited two people to come and attend this service. I don't know if they came or not, I have no idea. But see, that's not my job. My job is to put the line in the water. That's our job, put the line in the water, let the Lord do the rest. And so I think as a church, I believe sometimes we're content with having our fishing poles on the wall, and we, we, days will go by, weeks will go by, and we just don't put the line in the water. The Bible is very clear. 1 Timothy 2.4 says, God wants all people to be saved. That is the very reason Jesus came from heaven and lived among us but not only does he want all people to be saved, I want you to hear this, he really desires the worship from every people group on this planet, in this earth. Now, there's a handful of scriptures that I uh, would recommend everyone memorize. If you don't have these memorized already, I would recommend having them in your, in your, your heart and your mind. John 3:16. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. In Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. These are powerful scriptures that that carries the very essence of what Jesus is all about. But then there's a couple scriptures in the Gospel of Matthew that carry a little different meaning. It's the marching orders for his church. It's the, it's the actual, um, uh, the mandate that we are to carry out as Christians. The first is found in Matthew twenty-two, thirty-seven 37 through 39. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul and mind and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. See, God wants us to love him with everything we have. He does not expect us to be perfect. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He does not expect us to be perfect, but he does desire for us to pursue him and be all in and not straddle the line. I'll go to church today, but tomorrow I'll do this. He wants us to be all in. And he also wants us as Christians to love our neighbors. And that includes the neighbors that we love, and it includes the neighbors that we wish would pack it up and move. It includes the co-worker that we work with that we get along with so well, and the co-worker that we just wish the boss would fire this next week. See, it's really easy to love the lovable, but it's hard and challenging to love those who don't think like us and believe like us and act like us. It's a very hard challenge. But that is the very thing that Jesus commands us to do, and I think that's a timely message in our society today. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 now, the Great Commission, the very last thing that Jesus says before he ascends into heaven And he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. As Christians, we are called to share the story of Jesus in our neighborhoods, in our city, in in our state, in our country, and, yes, around the world. We have unfinished business. There's a few scriptures um, that talk about God's heart for the nations, and we could go on for quite some time, actually, going all the way back to the very beginning, um, when God made a covenant with Abraham, all the way uh, to the end of how God is is actively pursuing worshipers from all nations, and here's just a few of those scriptures. Malachi 1, verse 11, God says, "'My name will be great among the nations.'" From the rising to the setting of the sun, in every place incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. And then Revelation 7-9. This is a, a picture that the apostle John received as a foreshadowing of what heaven would be like. And so this is what he saw. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the lamb. It's gonna happen. We already know what the end result is going to be. We already know what the end of the show is going to be. It's just now we're living that fulfillment. Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will will come. God is definitely passionate about reaching the nations with the good news of Jesus Christ. But how are we doing with this? I just want to share a little bit about India and, and the strategic, uh, the strategic um, value of what you guys are doing in helping to plant 10 churches. Now, in India, uh, there are um, 2,550 unique people groups. These are people groups that have different languages, they have different foods, different customs. My wife is from central India. She speaks Hindi, and so if she goes to southern India or northeast India, for example, she would not be able to communicate with the people in their native tongue. They don't speak the same language. In fact, the the script is very different than one another. India is a very, very diverse country, and that's why you can't just look at, at India as one nation. Yeah, geopolitically it is, but within that one nation, there are a lot of ethnicities and different people groups within that one country. And of those people groups, uh, 10% are reached and 90% are still unreached. What do I mean by that? I mean that these unreached people groups simply don't have enough Christians to reach their own. Many of them don't even have missionaries or pastors or a church. They would, have, they would not have a facility to go to to worship the Lord. Many of these people, and I've heard it from my own, my own ears, uh, do not know who Jesus is. They think he's just somebody, well, who's Jesus? Is he from a different village? I mean, that's, that might be, a, that's what they would say. And so these people need someone. For us, here in Omaha, we would not necessarily need somebody to come here from Africa to tell the people of Omaha about Jesus. We have enough people here that we can do that. Doesn't mean that they would not be effective. They could come here and they could bring people to the Lord and and all that. But we have enough fishing poles here to put the line in the water. Now whether we do that or not is a different story, but you get the point. We don't need outside assistance, so to speak. But in India, we do. And, and, And we are passionate about this, and that's why the Lord put it on our heart to plant 50 churches among these unreached people groups by the end of 2020 and we're actively doing that. We've already launched six. This church is helping to plant five or to ten, 10 more, five up on the border, and, and five more uh, in central India, and we are super excited about launching those churches by the, by the first quarter of 2019. But I wanna give you guys a challenge, as, as individuals and as families. Matthew 6:21 says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You could tell a lot about a person or a family about where they spend their money, right? I mean, you would agree with me on that. And there's been a lot of research that's been done that says that as a whole, Christians, and I'm talking about the, the like individuals here, not, not, not as a church, but as individual or families, Christians around the world only give 10 cents, 10 pennies out of every $100 that they give. That goes to actual finishing the task, reaching the nations for uh, for Jesus. Now just imagine with me what that could look like if that ten cents turned into two dollars or three dollars. Man, the impact, the eternal eternal impact that we could have would be enormous. Have you ever wondered why we live in the richest country to have ever lived in this in this world? I mean, by far, we are the wealthiest nation in the world. And maybe, just maybe, the Lord has given us our incomes. By the way, the average income in America is $60,000 a household. In India, it's $6,000, 10 times richer than the people in India, just as an example. Maybe God has given us the ability to help fund the ministry on these front lines. And sometimes I hear people say that they can't afford it. And maybe that's true. But I think it's more about alignment. I think sometimes we just need to realign our priorities with the Lord's priorities. And here's what I mean by that. The average car payment now here in our country is $500 a month. And it lasts for five and a half years. Just imagine how cool it would be and how radical it would be if as, a, as Christians, we, we said, you know what, we're gonna drive a, a car that maybe doesn't look nearly as cool as that one, maybe not, doesn't have a, nearly as much power as that car that I would really like to have. But We freed up that money to help plant churches around this globe, and your family, you, your spouse, your kids, maybe some extended family could actually be a part of bringing the gospel to people who have never heard before. And you get to heaven and you see the fruit of all of that, 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 that generosity. That, to me, seems like a great, uh, great, having great purpose, and uh, would just be an absolute wonderful thing. In fact, one of my friends um, really felt the Lord tugging on their heart. And uh, he's a business owner, and God has blessed him, and he's been faithful, man of integrity, and has worked hard in his life. And the Lord put it on his heart uh, to, to give a portion of his profits every single month to the work, to planting churches among unreached people groups. And I just believe that the Lord will, will, will open the door, the floodgates of, of blessing because of what he's, he's trying to do. Not only in him personally, but in his business. And I, I, I just see how the Lord can use us as Christians to help fulfill the Great Commission. Listen, I don't think it's bad to have a car payment or anything like that. I, I, that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying that I believe as Christians we ought to consider aligning our priorities with the, the priorities of Jesus. Now, there's a uh, as we prepare to close here, um, in 2005, we started a ministry called the Mercy Home. And this home was a place originally for young girls, And these girls, some of them were orphans, some of them came from very uh, extreme poverty, and they were living in these conditions where it's just generational cycles of of poverty. And uh, no one in their families had ever been educated past high school. Um, And most of them, not even past the eighth grade. Um, Some of these came from very persecuted regions of India. And we, we just saw this need and as a ministry, we said, we need to do something about it. So we brought in a handful of girls in 2005. And we just had a small little rented uh, facility um, in a nearby city. And these girls came, and we just, the Lord just opened the doors. And more girls kept coming, and more girls kept coming. And then the problem was, is we had come to capacity uh, in that ministry, and we could not house any more girls. And so then um, some churches came together and said, we want to build a new facility so we can increase to 80 girls, and then let's build another one. And now we have today, we actually have 120 girls living full-time at the Mercy Home, and it's an absolutely amazing story. These girls are getting baptized. They're, they're marrying preachers. I mean, it's just, it's amazing to see what the Lord is doing. But it's always been just for young girls. And that was just kind of the lane we, but then all of a sudden in 2017, about a year and a half ago, um, God brought to our attention 10 young boys that really needed help. And they were really in a desperate situation. And we just felt like we need to do something. And so we didn't have all the answers. We didn't know where they were going to stay. We knew that we didn't want the boys and the girls to be at the same facility. And so we just prayed. And God put it on a family's heart. One of our team members actually in India, his name is Shukla. Um, He's been with us for many, many years. He actually came from the, the Hindu religion. He was a high caste Hindu priest. I mean he used to, 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 he knew. He knows everything about, the, about Hinduism, but he gave his life to Christ and, uh, and has been totally transformed. And so he said, my wife and I have been praying and we feel like the Lord is saying we should take these 10 boys into our home. Now imagine taking 10 boys into your home and how your life would just be turned upside down. I mean it would just be, it, that would not be easy. You know, just juggling all of that would be, would be crazy. But they said, we wanna take the 10 boys. See, to me, they're seeing an opportunity. They're putting their line in the water and they're trusting God. June of this year, um, 18 more boys uh, came forward and we just knew that we had to do something for them. So again, we're kind of at that praying stage, like, Lord, what are you gonna have us to do? And again, Shukla and his wife come and say, We want to take those 18 boys. So they have 28 boys living with them in their home, which I'm not kidding, their home is no more than 2,000 square feet. It's not a big home by any stretch of the imagination. It's it's just an average home, but they've taken them in. The boys are loving it, and they are absolutely loving it. See, what they're doing is they are aligning their priorities with the Lord's priorities. And they're saying, "I, I don't want to miss this opportunity. Yes, I'm going to be uncomfortable, yes, I'm going to have to do some things differently than I did yesterday. But now when I was there in August and I asked some of these older boys, what do you see yourself doing uh, when you graduate high school and where do you want to go with your life? And some of these teenage boys at their their housing said, we want to be preachers. We want to take the gospel to the unreached people groups of this country. And I just thought, this is absolutely amazing. And it touched my heart. And so as Christians today, I hope that all of us here will, help, will align ourselves and align our priorities with the priorities of God. I, we saw that baptism. I know we're gonna have a few more after the service. And maybe that's a starting point, point for, for someone in here. Maybe it's like, I, I need to trust Jesus and get all in and be baptized. And that's what you need to do. Maybe somebody here needs to get, um, get all in with the, with the unfinished campaign. Maybe somebody here wants to go above and beyond that and help uh, make it possible to plant a church in India. I don't know what it is that you guys, what the Lord is putting on your heart, but whatever it is, I pray that you would align yourself, put the line in the water, and let the Lord do his thing. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this time together. And uh, Father, we pray that you would have your way in our lives. Father, that, that you would use us to accomplish your purposes. Lord, we know this is not about us. It's not about me. It's not about anyone here. It's all about Jesus. And one day, Lord, we are going to leave this earth and be with you in heaven. Lord, we long for that day. But until that day comes, help us to, to, to live passionately and purposely for you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.